Um, Our passage for this morning uh, is based on Ephesians 4. So it's a long passage, and I'm going to read it for us. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each of one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave himself, or he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. This is God's word. So in this summer and every summer, we uh, take some time to talk about rule of life, which may Anne describe to you. It's basically like habits and practices that help us to grow into the person of Jesus. And so this summer, we've had a lot of different voices speak about that. So uh, Mitch and Carly, uh, two members of our community, have, have talked about prayer, the habit of prayer. My friend Gordy was here a couple weeks ago with uh, Francis Carlick, and they talked about the practice of, of reconciliation or conciliation. And then last week, my friend Shell was here, and he talked about different seasons that we go through in our discipleship with Jesus. And then next week, we have the picnics, and then the week after is the last week, and Gareth will close up our series by talking about hospitality. So one of the questions I want to answer is, like, why do we place such an emphasis on rule of life and these practices? Well, one of the reasons is because of uh, what it says in this passage, or one of the passages that influenced us. Uh, into this direction is, is in this passage that was read. It's in verse 15. It says this, let us grow into every way, in every way, into him who is the head, who is Christ. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. And this is the vision that Paul has for the Ephesian church and the Bible has for each one of us, that we are to grow. There's this slow process of growing, of becoming, in every way in our lives, so every area that we have in our lives, into someone that we can, 
through partnership with God and partnership with each other, look more and more like Jesus. This is the vision. If you're someone who follows Jesus, this is the vision for your life. If you're not, this is the vision for your life. This is what God wants each one of us to become. Now, this is an amazing and astonishing claim that each one of us can actually image God some way in this world, but it's also kind of vague. Jesus was a, a male Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago. And so we might ask the question, like, what does this actually look like for me? You know, as a teacher or a student who's preparing to go back to school in a couple weeks. Or as a mom who's at home with young kids. Or as someone who's retired. Or as someone who's single into your 40s and 50s. What does this look like for you? So Paul further clarifies what it looks like that we actually look like Jesus in four ways in this passage. And I want to look at them very quickly. What does it look like for us to become like Jesus kind of in more detail? So the first thing we're invited to do is to grow into the character of Jesus. Let's look again at this passage. It says, Therefore I, Paul's writing, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. These are the character traits that he says, no matter who you are, that you are called to grow into. And there's hope that you could become a person like this. Maybe you're a person who's very impatient. You could become a person who's patient. Or as I was preparing for this series this week, the word that stood out to me was gentleness. If you know me, that's, pro- that's not really something that's part of my character. But I could become like that. There's hope even for me to become a person who could be gentle like Jesus. And I love that this transcends our circumstances. It doesn't really matter what season of life you're in. It doesn't matter why you're here or what you're bringing here today. Uh, If you're single, if you're married, if you're old or if you're young, if you're male or if you're female, there is hope for all of us that we could become like this in the circumstances of our lives. But I want to note one specific kind of circumstance that's uh, really key for our growth in character. And that's difficult times. Going through difficult times or suffering or hardship. Listen to what Paul writes in another place, in another one of his letters in Romans. He says this, We also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. I don't want to get stuck in the linear progression of that. That's not the point. But it's, he's trying to say, he's saying something here that, that should uh, put off our, our spidey sense. Because I think for most of us, we think of this. In the moments that our lives are going really well, where everything is smooth and everything is just great, exactly how we'd hope or plan, that's the moments where God is most present with us. And it's the moments where things are not going well, where we're suffering, that are actually the moments where we're like, where is God? And Paul's language here is totally different. He says, I boast in my afflictions, in the difficult times, because I have a vision for them. That actually... Through these difficulties, God might be producing something in me. He might be creating something in me, a character that I couldn't have otherwise. And it really presses in on what we think the Christian life is all about. Do we think the Christian life, and I think most of us do think this, is that God will help us achieve and get whatever we want? Or do we have more of a vision of what Jesus' life looked like, which is dying and rising? And if that's the vision of our lives then there's hope for these moments of of hardship, of suffering in our lives, because God is doing something. The character that you have right now is dying, and he's trying to produce the life of Christ in you. 
So, the first thing that Paul says is that we're drawn into the character of Jesus, or we can grow into the character of Jesus. The second thing is that we're to grow into the unity of Jesus. Let me read again what he writes in verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. He just keeps saying it over and over again. That this is the vision of what it means to grow up, to develop as a Christian, to look like Jesus, is actually to be unified. And I think for most of us, or at least for some of us, this will come as a bit of a surprise, because if you're anything like me, what I've uh, maybe inherited or what I've heard is that growing up as a Christian means learning more about stuff. And then distinguishing myself from other Christians. Because I am this kind of a Christian, not that kind of a Christian. So, for example, it might be a theological growth and learning. I'm a Calvinist and not an Arminianist. Or I am pre-mill, not post-mill, or a-mill, or whatever. And if you don't know what those things are, good for you. Don't worry about it. But that's the way we think about it, is we distinguish ourselves against other Christians. Or in previous generations, we would do that denominationally. So I'm a Baptist. I'm not a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian. And and as we grow as Christians, this is kind of the idea that we learn how to actually distinguish ourselves. So the question is why? Why has that happened? And I want to give just my personal quick historical recap about why we are in that place where we think of growth as a Christian as actually distinguishing ourselves from other Christians. So just over 500 years ago, the church split in something called the Reformation. So about 1,000 years ago, the church split the Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Catholic Church kind of split off from each other. And then about 500 years ago, there was something called the Reformation. So the Catholic Church split with uh, these reforms that were written, that there's these things that people said, we need the the church to change. And uh, one of the emphases at that time was called sola scriptura, which means that it's by scripture alone. Instead Instead of relying on the traditions of the church, or the authority of the church, what we want to do is come back to Scripture and come back to the Bible. And so it was supposed to be a reform movement from the church, but it ended splitting uh, the church off into two, into the Protestant and Catholic uh, groups that we know today. Now, this idea that Scripture alone is something that we should have, I think there's something really, really good about that, that we should come back to Scripture, and that's obviously what we're trying to do this morning. And I agree with this to a degree, but here's the problem. Turns out, if you give 100 people a Bible and you say, hey, what does, it, what does it mean? You'll come up with 101 different interpretations of what it will mean. And so what's ended up happening in the Protestant church, which we're kind of a part of, is that we've got tens of thousands of different denominations. We've got all these different groups of people who say, I follow Jesus in this way, not that way. Or slightly different than those people, more like these people. Now, on top of that, in North America, very specifically, we have another uh, worldview or idea reigning ideology and lens that we look at the world through that has caused us to fracture. And that's the, the lens of capitalism. Um, and so I'm not, this is not a rant against capitalism, okay? I, I'm not a capitalist personally, but there's the classic saying, uh, capitalism is the worst form of economics except for all the other ones. So it's, it's, I'm not ranting against capitalism here. But the problem is the way in capitalism, one of the fundamental tenets of it is that we compete So let's imagine all of us have, uh, we create a hat store. All of us have different hat stores, and we make them in Vancouver. The way that we're going to uh, interact with each other is not in working together, but in competing. 
So we compete for market share, and we ultimately compete for capital. And we try to rise and gain more market share and more capital. That's just how our world works. Now, I don't know if that should be the way that our economy works, but the point is we bring that and we drag that idea into the church and into our faith and the way that we think. And so what we do is when we have all these different groups, what we do is we compete with each other. This is the fundamental way that we think about the world. We compete with each other. And in past, like I said, the main way that they did that was through denominations. But the way that we do that now is much more individualistic. So I'm a, this kind of a Christian. I come to this church because it's the most convenient, or it's got the best music, or it's a Bible church, or it's a community church, or as I'll just say what we're all thinking, we come to this church because the preaching is the best, right? I mean, it's everyone, on everyone's minds, I thought I would just say it out loud, especially the last four weeks while I haven't been here. But it's the point is to say we distinguish ourselves from other churches in that way. And I'm just trying to point this out because Paul is saying something almost exactly the opposite here of the way that we normally think about the world and the world that we live in and the world that we've inherited. That we're supposed to, rather than being competing with each other and distinguishing ourselves from one another, the way that God's church is to be identified is actually being united together. That we love one another, that we speak well of one another, that we're able to call each other brother and sister even despite the differences that we might have. We're to grow in unity. That's the second calling from Paul. So here's the third one, giftedness. Let me read the passage for us. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Lots we could say about this, but here's the big idea. That God has given us this gift of grace through Jesus, but there is also on top of that individual gifts that we have, ways that we are to serve God's body and serve his people. And so this is one of, one of the lists in the Bible about how those gifts can play out. It's not the only list, but it's one of the famous ones. It's, you may hear it referred to as APEST. That's the acronym that, that it's uh, given. So it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, and then shepherd is usually the S, and then T is teacher. So these are the, they call it the five-fold gifting. Uh, I'm going to just read for you what one author says about this to give you an idea of what these gifts look like. So David Fitch says it this way. Here's what apostles do. Apostles initiate, gather, and pioneer new works, calling people to live in the kingdom now. Prophets. Prophets speak so as to reveal the truth and call of God into a situation, especially the injustice and neglect of the poor. Pastors or shepherds tend to and sustain people's souls, especially the hurting. And I think of that shepherd or pastor gift. I think of uh, our youth and community pastor, Mitch. He just loves you guys so much. We've spent so much time praying for you, and he'll be just like deeply moved and weeping, and then there's just me, just stone-faced, sitting beside him. Um, but he just loves you guys so much. He longs to shepherd people. Evangelists bring the good news to those who are hurting, and teachers help explain and deep, deepen people's faith. And so maybe this is all new information to you, and that's totally fine, but there's a call in this passage for us to identify, to discern what the gifts that we have are, how we're to serve God's community and beyond, and to, to grow in these things. So Paul's saying each one of us is given a gift, and we're called to grow in those areas. So then finally, let's look at the last one, that we're to grow into family. Verse 12 and beyond. To, the, all these gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Paul writes. 
to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature based by Christ's fullness, or measured by Christ's fullness. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So this desire to grow, not just individually, but the family of God. And again, if we're more Western in our mind, this is probably a little bit of a surprise to us because we tend to think of ourselves as individuals who might identify with a group. And Paul is saying it's exactly the opposite, that we are a family and we're knit together. And so the character that we have is not just me growing my character, it's growing the character of our whole community. It's not just my gifts, but the gifts used for the community. So the goal of maturity isn't just for ourselves, the growth is for the growth of the whole, fa- excuse me, the whole family of God. So, these are the four things that Paul says. We're to look like Jesus, and then there's these four different ways that we're to grow into it. And I wanted to take some time to look at this this morning, because this is the vision of the rule of life. The rule of life isn't just because we really like to be disciplined in this community. That might be true of some of us. But the goal is because there's a vision. There's a vision for who you can become and who we can become as the people of God that we can look like Jesus in all of these different ways, that we're a person who's in community, that we're using our gifts, that we're growing in character, and we're unified with others in the body of Christ. So here's the next question. If this is the vision, if this is what we're called to become, how are you doing? How's it going in your life? Well, if you're like me and you look at this list, some of them I'm doing okay, some of them I would have to say I'm pretty low on. And I'm not saying that to to put shame or guilt on anybody, but just to ask the question of why. If this is a vision of who we're to become, why aren't many of us growing into this person? And and here's the thing. You probably spent thousands of hours in church. That's a depressing thought, isn't it? Like, I could have been at the gym. I could have been at brunch. But you spent thousands of hours in places like this. You've got more information about Christianity than any generation in the history of the world at your fingertips. In the past few weeks, I've taken two seminary-level courses for free from my phone. You've got books about anything you could possibly be interested in the Christian world. And we've got so much Christian stuff in our lives. Like, you may have Christian friends and Christian family. You listen to Christian music and Christian podcasts. You might go to a Christian barber or a Christian mechanic, and then you put on your Christian pajamas and get in your Christian bed. And I'm being slightly facetious, but we can surround ourselves with all of those different things. And yet, when we look at something like this, if you're like me, there's a sense of lack. There's a sense of not growing into that area. So why, the question for me is why? Um, One of the people that have really helped me understand this is a guy named Justin Early. This is his picture. Um, And he wrote this book called The Common Rule, which we based a lot of our rule of life stuff off of. But he came to this crisis point in his life as well where he realized that the stuff in his life wasn't necessarily creating uh, the, the vision of what it meant to be human, a person that looked more like Jesus. So he was actually a missionary, and he came back to, he's American, he came back to America, and he was studying to be a lawyer. And even though he was a Christian, he realized at one point in law school that he, even though most of the rest of his um, classmates were not Christian, he was just as busy as them, he was just as stressed as them, He was just as overcommitted as them. He was just as anxious as all of them. He was self-medicating just as much as all the rest of the people 
in his class. And so he asked himself why, and here's the answer he came up with. He said, I realized that while the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits were just like everybody else's. Even though my, the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits were just like everyone else's. And I think there, there's a parallel there for us. We're here this morning because we have some sort of draw or attraction to the person of Jesus, but often our habits are no different than the rest of our friends in the world. And everybody from psychologists to neuroscientists to saints and monks and nuns from past ages say that the practices that we have, the practices that we keep, affect us way, way more than we'd like to admit. Another way of saying this is that the things that we do actually do something to us. We tend to think of ourselves like brains on a stick, that Christianity is about getting more information into here. But part of what uh, the Bible says is that actually the things that we do do something to us. They shape and they form us. So if the first step in the rule of life is is to, to hear the vision of what God's calling us to, the second step isn't to create a rule of life, but actually just to assess our current rule of life. What are the habits and practices that I have in my life, and who are they drawing me to become? Listen to what John Mark Homer says, who's a person that I've learned a lot from and has written and spoken a lot about rule of life. He says this, you already have a rule of life. All of us do. Whether it's written or unwritten, conscious or subconscious, whether you're aware of it or not, whether it's wise or foolish, whether it's based on the long-term person you want to grow into or the long-term person that God is calling you to become, or the short-term instant gratification pleasure that you want to feel. The odds are that you already have a basic way that you live, some kind of morning routine, a muscle memory about how quickly you pick up your phone when you wake up, some kind of sleep pattern, ways you spend your money, etc. The question is not, do you have a rule of life? The question is, do you know what your rule of life is, and do you know what your rule of life is doing to you? We all have a rule of life. Do you know what your rule of life is, and do you know what it's doing to you? So, before we move on, I'm going to actually just pause and give you three minutes to reflect on those two questions for yourselves. Okay, what, what might your rule of life look like? What are the habits and practices that you have in your life, and what are they doing to you? Who are you becoming? Okay, so we'll just play some, some music and for a couple minutes, and then I'll give us the next prompt. I'll give you about three minutes to reflect on that quickly. I encourage you to keep those conversations going, and uh, community groups are starting up in a few weeks, so if, if you like these kinds of conversations, one of the reasons we make space for this in the summer is because we don't have those community groups, those other places of connection. So we encourage you to join one of those. So we've looked at the vision of what it means for Paul to be, to be human and to become like Jesus, a little bit about that. We've talked about what our current rule of lives are, our rules of life are. And now I just want to close by talking about, is there any advice from Paul on what it means to create a rule of life, to think about the habits and patterns? And there's loads and loads in this passage, but I just want to point out two things here as we close about how we can learn from Paul to become more like Jesus. So the first thing I want to note is that in verse 3, Paul uses this language. He says, make every effort. Make every effort to become like Jesus, to take on this character of Jesus, to grow in unity, 
to discern and exercise your gifts and to be part of the family of God. And this language may make some of us itchy, uh, depending on like our church background, because we may have been raised in a church tradition where you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to do anything. I, I can't earn anything. God has to do it all. Jesus came, and it's, it's all about him. The gospel is all about him, and I couldn't do anything to save myself. And that is true, but it's not fully true for encapsulating the full Christian life. Maybe someone who said this best is the philosopher Dallas Willard. He said this, grace, which Paul talks about a lot in this passage. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong quote. That was my bad. I got the right picture, but the wrong quote, so you'll just have to listen to me. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Earning is a way that we orient ourselves in the world to think that we can become good enough, that we could earn the goodness and grace of God. Effort is an action. So grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And I'm preparing this fall, we're going to do a series on Genesis 2 and 3, going back to the first parts of the story of God. And it's so clear there from that part, from from that, that section of Scripture, but also from the whole rest of Scripture, that God just wants to partner with us. That's his vision for what it means to be human, that he creates us as his image bearers, and then he longs to partner with us to make himself known in the world, to showcase the character that he has, who he is, and extend his shalom and his goodness into the world. And so the gospel, which is good news about Jesus, it is that Jesus has done it. He, we, we, God calls us to partner with him, and we've continually taken our hands away through history, say, I'm not going to partner with you, God. And each of us has done that in our own lives. And Jesus comes and he's that perfect partner. And he opens the door for us. But he opens the door for us to also partner with God. To take his hand and join him with uh, the effort that we have with our lives. Um, And so like Paul says, to make every effort. And so for me, one of the best ways to think about this, or an analogy that might help, is an analogy of a car. Um, some people from our church left for the summer. We don't, we don't have a car, our family, but some people left for the summer and they left us their car. So I've been driving all summer. So you may have to deal with a lot of driving analogies in the next like, few weeks. But this is how I think of it. When I was uh, kind of like younger in my faith journey, a lot of what I heard was like, you're like a car that's going in reverse. Like you're going the wrong way and you need to stop it. That was kind of what I heard. And so I tried really hard to stop doing the bad things that I was doing in my life. But it actually didn't propel me forward. It just kind of left me in neutral, I guess I would say. And so this vision of like that there is someone that God calls me to become was actually a very key moment in my faith journey of not just sitting in neutral, not going in reverse, but not just sitting in neutral, but that God has actually called me to become someone. I, I got involved with an organization called Power to Change when I, when I was uh, in my first year of university. And they said, like, God has a plan that he, part of what God calls us to as his followers is to share the good news with other people. And that's the first time in my life that I actually had a vision for, like, that there is something here for me to do. And so um, maybe you resonate with that, that, that your car has been, you've been told you can't go in reverse, but you feel like you're stuck in neutral. And I hope that some of this passage, uh, what we looked at this morning, is an encouragement for you to put the car in drive and say there is a vision for, God, for who God is calling you to become and who God is calling all of us to become. But there's also, for, for uh, many of us, and I'm also in this boat, we've had seasons of our lives where we probably have put the car in drive. Maybe you shifted all the way up to fir- fifth and then you threw, you pressed the gas as far down as you could. So a few years after that, I went to, I quit school, 
and I went as a missionary to a closed country for a whole year, just a year later, because I had this vision of my life. And so I was like taking steps of faith. I was following God with everything that I had. And that was a very key moment in my life where I felt like my life was very much in drive on the way forward. But the problem is that was 20 years ago. And I, and I had the car in drive, and slowly over time what can happen is I can stop pressing the gas. Other things take my focus, and I look at my life, and I look back at those times, and I think I'm still in drive, but really I'm sitting in neutral right now. And I think that's true of many of our lives, is that we had moments where we followed Jesus closely, but if we were honest about ourselves, that was 3, 5, 20, 30, 50 years ago, and now we're stuck in neutral. Like I said, we just took, I took some time off. So my wife, Sarah, and I, we've, one of the things we were doing, I was just chatting about our, our marriage and where we're at. So we just had our, our anniversary. And so we're just discerning where we're at. And I'd say this, like, this is not to shock anyone. Our marriage is doing fine. We are not moving towards divorce, but it's just okay. Like, just to be honest. We're not, like, knocking it out of the park with every pitch. I know you think that, and thank you. Uh, and, 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 and Sarah's Instagram may make it look like that, but that's not true. But one of the things that we discerned in our marriage, just to be brutally honest with you, is that I am actually, I've been stuck in neutral for the past few years as relates to our marriage. There have been times in our marriage where I very much put the car in drive and I've pressed the gas and really, really worked to become a good husband and to become a good father. But one of the things we've discerned is that our marriage is just doing okay because I've been in neutral as relates to our marriage in the last few years. And the invitation of my wife and the invitation of God in this season is to put the car back in drive which means learning some new habits at this stage of our life. How can I be a good husband to my wife? How can I be a good follower of Jesus? And I think there's like, that's true for many of us in, in, in lots of different areas of our, our lives. That we've partnered with God in the past, but now is a new season to make an effort. How can you partner with God? And he's holding his hand out to you. Where are the places that you can take his hand and take the hand of the other people in this community in order to follow him. And I don't want to just be down on you in this community. That's not to say, like, you're not doing anything. You're here. That's great. That's awesome. You could be a lot of other places this morning, but you chose to be here. And part of that is to say, I'm committed with this group of people to learning how to follow God in this season of life in the city. And so that's really, really great. And I encourage you to continue to do that. Are there other ways that you can partner with God? And I'll just say one thing very quickly about this for the sake of time. One of the things I've realized about my life and the life of other people is that oftentimes we are doing things, but we don't look at them as a partnership with God. So we have disciplines in our life. So I was chatting with someone in our community, and they said, I said, like, what's your rule of life like right now? And they started talking, but they didn't, then later on in the conversation, they said, well, actually, I'm going to counseling. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Tell me a little more about that. But they, they, so they started talking about going to counseling, but they didn't see it as part of their rule of life. And I said, you know, maybe you could put those two things together. Say, like, part of my rule of life right now is actually partnering with God to learn more about myself, to be able to be a person who can give and receive love, and, and, and see that counseling as a spiritual discipline. And so many of you guys are doing things in your life that are really, really good, but could you say those are part of my rule of life? And here's what I've learned. When I do that in my own life, it opens up new areas for me to see God at work. God is coming with me to my counseling appointment. God is there. God is at work. And when I learn to talk about that with my friends as a spiritual habit or a spiritual discipline, it opens up new conversations with my non-Christian friends. 
And, uh, and so I just encourage you to think like, I have stories I could tell, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to move on. There are things in your life that you're probably doing that are, you maybe just don't think of them like spiritual disciplines. Maybe you garden. Maybe God wants to join you in that. And you can look at it as a place that is a discipline in partnering with him. Okay, let me give you the last section, and then I'm going to invite you to discuss one more thing with your neighbor. So Paul says, make every effort. And then the last thing he says is that there are things that we should learn to reject and things that we should learn to embrace. Here's what he says. Take off your former way of life, the old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So when we follow Jesus, we're invited to this pattern of taking off and putting on or stopping certain things in order to add new things into our lives, to start new things, or to reject certain things in order to embrace other things. And this is such a key and important one for us as people with busy lives in the 21st century and with smartphones. There are things that we are called to stop doing in order to create space. I don't think any of you just have the bandwidth in your life to just add 12 new spiritual disciplines. Maybe you do. If you do, please uh, come talk to me. We've got a few things that we could use some help with around the chapel. Um, But it's so key that we see this. In order to add something into your life, you have to think about what you're going to stop. So, for example, maybe you're discerning. One of the things I want to do is is I, I want to grow in spiritual friendship in this season of my life. So that's something you're going to add. Maybe one of the things you need to limit in this time is how much scrolling you do on your phone. Or get rid of one social media platform in your life in order to make space for a real IRL relationship. Or, for example, maybe you say, I want to give. I want to be more generous. And so one of the things you can stop is eating out as much. I'm going to limit how much I eat out to once a week, for example. Or I'm going to get rid of a few of the digital subscriptions that I have. I don't need an Amazon and Netflix and Disney Plus and, 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 and. So I'm going to get rid of some of those for a season in order to give more generously. I don't know what it is, but I encourage you to match something that you reject with something that you embrace in order to create a rule of life. So here's the last question. We're going to end here. I'll give you a few minutes to chat. Almost all of us are starting a new season in September. It's just one of those seasons, I think it's probably because of school, that we just think of kind of like there's a new season starting in my life in September. And so I want to ask this question. What are some of the habits and practices that God might be calling you into in this season? The vision of who you're becoming. And, and again, to, take, to join with God, to take effort, but also to think of one thing that you can reject in order to brace something else. So I'm going to get you to turn quickly again to your neighbor and just discuss that for a few minutes, and then I'll close this up in prayer, and we'll uh, go into a time of communion together.